can't believe that you haven't seen it love it so much you really gotta stream it let me tell you every line right now i can quote the whole thing since i was 12. maybe your mom told you no she said she Welcome to another episode of Movies We Missed. Ah, I am your host, Brandon Greenhouse, alongside my lovely co-host, Jane Chelsea Hammer. Jane, love you. Glad to be here with you again. Before we get into what's going on with you, I do want to let our listeners know, if you want to keep tabs on us, if you want to, you know, keep your ears perked for what's going on around here, you can find us on social media. You bet. You better believe it. You can find us at Movies We Missed on Instagram, on Facebook. Um, we're there. We're ready to engage. We're ready to chat with you. Um, speaking of chatting, I got to chat about some of the other the other end of this uh, this podcast. <laughs> How are you doing, Janie? What's going on in doing, your world? I'm doing great. I mm. um, I'm really curious about your choice of my middle name today, Chelsea, because normally you grab a name from the movie, and so so I was just wondering, like you know. Am I Hillary Clinton's daughter? Am I what? What, what was the inspo? Uh, you're so obsessed with the with the Clintons. It's <laughs> um, I literally never talk about the Clintons. Um, I, <laughs> what would I, I be tr- saying about the Clintons? You talk about that 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 deal that they did. What was it? What was it called? Backwater. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I know what you're talking about, but I don't know what it's called. <laughs> You know what it's called. It was like in the early '90s, right? That like. Yeah, it was. It was a Whitewater. It was Whitewater. Yeah, it was that. that oh, wasn't that with like Ken Starr, and then that turned into the Monica Lewinsky thing? Yeah, it. Yeah, it had to do with like a real estate controversy over property. Yeah, I think. Yeah, in, yeah, I want to yeah. say in Arkansas, maybe like investments. Mm. Um, oh, because it was like before Bill Clinton was president, and they were yeah, 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 get something on him, but they ended up getting like. The Monica Lewinsky stuff and ruining a, a young woman's life in the process. Absolutely, absolutely. <sighs> I actually don't know if that's exactly how it went. I sounded very authoritative. You did. That is that's just from my. That's just from my memory, but my brain is like a piece of Swiss cheese. I think so. you're right, though. I think that somewhere in there, Linda Tripp reached out and was like, <laughs> "Get a load of what I got my hands on." Girl, get on the phone and start recording. <laughs> exactly. Hey, Mon, I haven't talked to you in a while. What's going on? <laughs> uh, Something about Monica. a velvet dress. Um, did you did you ever watch that um, the Beanie Feldstein? Um, no, the Ryan Murphy. Yeah, I never watched that. I should. I didn't get around to it. It also like don't feel like I heard a lot about it. TV is wild I, now, though. It is. There is so much television. Much. I always am shocked when a show like cuts through all the static because it's like I know there's so much wonderful TV happening right now more than yes. ever before, and like mm-hmm. we're just missing it because it's all just falling by the wayside. And people bring up shows sometimes, and I'm like, what are you talking about? I didn't. I had no idea that like this biopic, you know, was being made about like I don't know about like Larry Bird's mom, and it's starring Margot Robbie, <laughs> and it's like you know. And it's called like you know, Mama Bird. Mom, I was know. just about to say Mama Bird. God damn you! Yeah, it's like it's like Mama Bird. What you know? What happens when like when what happens when a you know, what happens when a boy who flies leaves the coop? 
Mm. And it's like Margot Robbie and like prosthetics and just like <laughs> having her using um, Nicole Kidman using, in the hours uh, moment. Yeah, using Meryl Streep's uh, The Iron Lady wig and just like <laughs> going into and like. Teeth. Exactly. And going into like, you know, the business offices of like, I don't know, the Knickerbockers trying to like broker a deal for her son. The Knickerbockers? Do you not know what team Larry Bird played for? No, I'm no, I'm saying like it's like they add in a scene where she's going to like New York to like try and like broker a deal to get her son off the Celtics because they're not playing ball, mm. and it's just like her going in there and just being and being like being drunk and like orderly. Uh, by the way, we uh, we should say before we get sued for slander, we don't know a single thing about Larry Bird or his mother. <laughs> yeah, but my like, son it's... may be a Robin, but I'm a Hulk. You know what? That that sounds like a job for Melissa Leo. To be honest with you. <laughs> maybe yeah maybe <laughs> maybe we do like a maybe we do like a no whoever gets that part is gonna want to play all all ages so i was gonna of say course. maybe we could do like a like sort of like you know they they do the different chapters we turn it into like a crown affair where each season mm. is like a different year in, in bird's life also i feel like larry bird's like probably lived a pretty like tame life so they gotta really like punch up this story so i feel yeah. like they need people like us in the room to really like punch it up when it's like a scene where like it was like him and his mom like having like lunch at like a tea room and he's like we had lunch and uh she told me about what was going on on the farm and then she left and then we add in a scene where like his mom like assaults like a waitress who's like bringing them <laughs> something and then like and like consumes like a bottle of pills and it's just like we really Mar margo needs something to sink her teeth into um <laughs> look it's oscar season every season and margo will be on 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 the board as we like to say as as we it's for it's for the academy's consideration what we're doing <laughs> and we did add in a tasteful nude scene for her character mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and he's like what like what like your mom <laughs> seducing one of your agents who's going to be played by gary cole get into it it's just like this gary is... cole it's just like Gary messy Cole, as hell. Brady Bunch movie fame. <laughs> you know it. You know it, Mama. He's got to. He's got to eat too. He's done so many movies. I love how that's the like first one that. But came I to couldn't. Mind. But I couldn't offer a counter, and then I thought Office Space. But it that, I literally, as soon as I said the Brady Bunch movie, I thought Office Space. He is really Which good. Is, he is really good in Brady Bunch. He, Gary Cole is a great actor. I fucking love Gary Cole. He's in. He when he shows up, you're like, yep. Yeah, this is whatever this is, whatever role he's in, it's going to be well taken care of, you know. And I'm sure at this point he's probably, you know, he's got him playing ball now. He's probably get his agents on the phone. He's like, offer to add another fucking zero to this. Mm -hmm. Like, ooh, Pineapple Express. Dave offered as a character right. option. Yeah, he now was in Pineapple Express. He's probably like, I want that pit money. Mm -hmm. Whatever Day Lewis is getting paid, multiply it well, and call me back. Day Lewis retired officially didn't he yeah but you know i i never saw that last one did you the one where he was like a seamstress or something <laughs> <laughs> a seamster what do you call a male seamstress? no that well that's a, a, no that, what was it like a it was called phantom like thread magic, a phantom it was thread called like magic something? phantom thread yeah that's yeah, what yeah. it was called <laughs> yeah <laughs> what do you call a male seamster a male you don't call him a, a tailor. tailor you don't call him a tailor no because a tailor i think is menswear so a, a, a seamster I, I i think a seamster is good dave said semester but that can't be right <laughs>
No, that's like a little too sexy, I think. That's, um, that's, for some Smith reason, that... is sexy to you? <laughs> I don't know. No, it's just giving me like a, it's just giving Virtually me like a bedroom. impronounceable. <laughs> um, I feel like... Wait, yeah. I, but none of this is sexy. Let's actually put that on the table. I also feel like, I feel like Daniel Day-Lewis, if somebody, if Paul Thomas Anderson puts like a script in front of him of like, I don't know, the life of like the fucking like Colonel Sanders, I'm sure he'd be chomping at the bits to like... <gasps> put that wig on so sorry but dave just gave us the definition that a male a male seamstress is often referred to as a seamster <gasps> you nailed it then. i thought i made that up i must have heard that somewhere or i'm just brilliant either way that doesn't make you brilliant you just put <laughs> letters together um how fucking dare you take this from me you are no you're brilliant every fucking opportunity to you're get a genius iconic <laughs> I feel like, no, but I feel like, yeah, if Paul Thomas Anderson gave him, like, a script on, the, like, the gritty life of, like, Colonel Sanders. And, like, oh, like he'd with, be like, all a, about it. He'd be out of retirement so fast. And, like, a scene of, like, oh, Colonel Sanders meeting with, like, the person who created Popeye's chicken. And, like, them, like, fighting mm. over the recipes. And him he'd just be being like, no, come already, on! Already growing the, the goatee necessary. And, and then, once again, you need the gritty scene. You need the scene of him, like, what was a good, like, drug back then? Like, uh, not methadone. Uh, uh, I feel like a lot of injections. When was Colonel Sandals around? Like, the 20s? I have yeah, that no... checks out. Like, Colonel like... Sandals? <laughs> <laughs> it sounded like I had, like, a speech impediment. Sandals. <laughs> 30s and 40s. Or, like, a scene of him, like, microdosing on, like, arsenic, maybe? Like, just, and he's just, like, in, like, the oh, back room at, like, yeah, the first yeah. KFC. And mm-hmm. they're like, Mr. Sanders, you need it on the phone. And they open it mm-hmm. up, and he's taken his little necktie, his little bow necktie off, and he's got it around his arm. And he's, like, <gasps> freebasing or, like, injecting. That's, and they're like, freebasing is, is when you smoke it. Well, smoke. he's doing both the same Oh, thing. he's doing both. And for they a little come back there. Double whammy. And like, yeah, and they're like, Colonel Sanders, like, they're, they're on the phone. They want to talk to you. Julia, Julia Childs loves your recipe. And it's like him, like, literally, like, passed out. It's like literally like him, like, passed out, like, tell him to call back. And he's like, but Colonel. <laughs> and he's like, no calls. Not today. I got a sugar recipe think, for you. Do you think they'll deal with, the, they'll have sort of. <clears throat> they'll deal with the racism of the South in the 1930s and 40s in this biopic, or do you think that's just not what Daniel Day-Lewis is there, here to do? No, it'll be something, although it'll be like a simp. He already did that in Lincoln, that that, that fiction. He, I, um, didn't, I didn't watch Lincoln. <laughs> I tried to. They'll probably, no, they'll probably have him say something sympathetic that Colonel Sanders would have never said. Yeah. Like, you know, like, <laughs> you know, like, oh, those blacks out there protesting for their freedom. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I know what it's. I know what it's like to be caged. Like in like what way? <laughs> I'd love to hear like a. Or it'll more probably be him. It'll be like some black men that are out of work, and he'll be like, "Why don't you come over, work for me? I got. I'll pay. Work I'll pay you ten cents on the dollar. <laughs> work for me. I got something called Kentucky Fried Chicken. Put you boys to work. Ain't no. Ain't nothing special about this labor, but it's honest work. It's good work. Get you off the streets. <laughs> It's like some gritty scene and then some like, you know, they'll have like some, it'll be like super like, like the, like probably like the white savior and like some, Mm -mm. some black woman just being like, you saved my boys from, you saved my boys from unemployment line. And he's like, 
Can't call it saving if they pulled me out of the depths too. Just call that friendship. <laughs> and it's like Daniel Day Lewis is the Colonel. Although he won't eat at the same table as them, but yeah, that, <laughs> but, no, but it's friendship. Like <laughs> yeah, I got um, the secret recipe, and it's justice. <laughs> yeah scenes of him like in court mr smith goes to washington style it's just like like they're like the record doesn't support this like this is it's literal like paul thomas fiction. anderson is like i wrote what i wrote and we're shooting it shot for shot <laughs> this movie was actually a dare and nobody called it like we Literally, both kept like because i'm so accomplished and well respected people just let me do it and this it's... is supposed to be a joke it was a dare between him and Maya. And it was just like each step through the process was like, I, like, I dare you. I dare you to, to call. I dare you to call like A24 right now. Mm -hmm. And it's like, I will do it. I will I, fucking I will do, do it, it right now. I dare you to call Daniel Day. I dare you. <laughs> who's who's Maya Rudolph agree. playing? She's she's probably, she's like, she maybe she's like, she owns like, maybe she owns like a Popeye's that's like, I know this timeline's got to be. A trash. I don't think Popeyes was around when KFC came out. We're not doing our research, and neither is Paul Thomas. But we need like she's she's like a competitor, like like mm. another like uh, fried chicken, you know, chain, and it's sort of like about who's and gonna sort of like take the. Yes, maybe it's a small fried chicken chain that's on the come up, and it's owned by a black woman. But then Colonel Sanders tramples them and takes over the world. And Colonel Sanders has like a long suffering wife. Who's Played like, you by... ain't touched these thighs in years. <laughs> Batter me up, Colonel. <laughs> that was a lot grosser than like I had originally intended. As soon as I said it, I was like, oh, that means more than one thing. <laughs> Maybe if you could make money off of this breast, it'd end up in your mouth. Colonel, <laughs> I got needs. Mama Sanders. <laughs> I need to be touched. <laughs> you gotta feel me. Um, yeah. speaking um, so... of relationships. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, this we're not doing an episode about the uh the true sort of story of Colonel Sandy. No, but I, I mean, I we should say by the way, copyright, trademark, all of that. Just trademark, all that. Don't you? Yeah. Dare. If we see that anywhere, <laughs> we'll know where it came from. We'll know if we see Sanders trending later today. <laughs> we know there's been some fast work, <laughs> um, but we're coming for you. Well, we know, we that know that our podcast. We know the power we have. Exactly, it's embarrassing, but we wield it. <laughs> um, so, speaking of relationships, I'd love to sort of dive into our movie this week, which is all about relationships. If you know, you were down for that. I mean, we're here for that, right? I think. I'll allow it. Oh, okay. <laughs> I love it. Um, <clears throat> well, this week we have continued on a journey. Um, we started with Celine and Jesse and Before Sunrise, and now we are back nine years later with Before Sunset. So what I thought I could do, and if this is cool with you, I just want to run this by you. I've run it written a little something and it's not long <laughs> it's not long <laughs> and i just thought you know 
we could read it and then sort of get into our little uh, routine that we do around here. What, what, what do you say, gay? That that's not. There's nothing objectionable objectionable about that. Okay. Um, I'm going to give you the floor to read it. If I feel like at any point it okay. has gone on for too long, uh-huh. I'm going to scream into the microphone, and that's okay. your sign to stop. <laughs> Okay, so instead of just saying stop, you're going to do a very loud, high-pitched scream. Is that what I'm understanding? That feels correct in this instance. So, yeah, I'm just going to follow my instinct. I do feel lucky since this is a short one. It's not a super complicated plot, so hopefully you won't feel the need to scream. Hopefully you won't make me feel that need. (laughs) Out of me up. Out of me up, Colonel. All right, here we are. 2004's before sunset bonjour oui oui jesse and celine are back it's been nine years since the two of them spent the most intense romantic philosophical life-changing night together in vienna this time things are different before they'd lived whole separate lives without knowing of each other's existence and came together by chance Now they lived nine years apart, but without seeing each other. They had the comforting memories of each other to roll over in their thoughts whenever real life got too tough. What a gift to hang on to what could have been. To agonize over how life should have been better, more exciting, more filled with love if they've only met up a second time nine years ago. If you remember, the last time we left Jesse and Celine, they had plans to meet back up in Vienna six months after their first encounter. They exchanged no phone numbers or addresses, and they didn't need to because the power of true love would bring them right back to where they were supposed to be, in each other's arms. Only it didn't happen like that. Celine couldn't make it because her grandmother passed away, but she had no way of letting Jesse know. Jesse showed up and waited around, heartbroken, shattered. He spent a few days there and then headed back to the States. He knew that was it. If he was ever going to see her again, he'd have to do something big, loud enough to get Celine's attention from all the way across the world. He built a career on hope, and it has just paid off. Now, all these years later, Jesse has written a best-selling book about their night together. He is on his last stop of his European book tour in a quaint bookshop in Paris. Who happens to show up but our heroine Celine? So... What will they do with their time together? They only have a couple hours before Jesse has to head to the airport to make his flight back to New York. Will the FARC... (laughs) Will the... Sorry, I'm like... (laughs) Will the sparks still fly between them? Will they be able to fill the air with all their classic musings about life, love, and the pursuit of happiness? Will they be able to say and do everything they've wanted to say to each other for the past nine years in this short block of time? The only true way to know is to follow them on their journey and see what happens before sunset. You did it. You set us up to continue with part two in in our before series. Uh, several, like, factoids that I guess... Well, you know what? I guess they can be woven into the like-its and the love-its or whatever. So we don't have to talk about them now. Well, no. I feel like you were just about to do them. So just, let's just, just give them. Give them to us. Unless you don't want to. What's going on with you? What is going on? Hold on. I'm looking at my notes. The fuck? Okay. 
Okay. Anyway, oh uh, yeah. You know what? I'll just yeah. Well, I'll start. I'll start here because. Okay. So one. Okay. You know what? I'll just start with these then. Do, so do what you do. My... Do what you do, baby boy. It doesn't matter. Just. Oh you know. my god. You know you remind me of you're <laughs> you the way that the you're hottest to person me. you ever met. You know, no, I... you remind me. A, you're giving a little bit. You're giving. You're giving Mama Bird for sure. Larry Bird's mom. <laughs> I, I'm giving Margot Robbie. Thank you. <laughs> no, you're given you're given yeah. Melissa Leo is what you're given. Yeah, that's what you're given right now. So how about you consider giving me space? How about that? This is just like that scene mm. where Melissa Leo has sex with Larry Bird's agent, um, played by Tom Hanks, to get him um an interview with the Knickerbockers. <laughs> um is that what the Knicks' full name are, is called? The Knickerbockers? Yeah. What does that mean? I don't know. I don't even know if that's true. Oh, okay. <laughs> you don't know anything about sports. Okay, let's Not hit us know. with your factoids. We don't want to get derailed oh. again. That sounded sexual. Um, <laughs> factoids? I... Derailed, girl. <laughs> <laughs> say fucking anything around you go um fucking whoa whoa you fucking pervert whenever i hear the word fucking i think of sex oh my god that's crazy you're the first person to make that connection call me weird call me weird um just call me (laughs) just call me (laughs) just please anybody um the first thing that i had in my like it's was that okay so like this movie and i don't think i knew this like so richard linkletter I knew that like the original movie was like, why are you smiling? Why are you going? Because Dave wrote a message to our group, get those tits out on camera. Whoa. <laughs> um, by the way, just so you know, we're, I'm being me tooed by our producer in real time. And I will not. <laughs> he, he did follow up with some information, which I think changes the context. He said, get those tits out of the camera. I don't want to see them. Jane, I know they're probably going to cut this. And I'm sorry, I'm going to get to this. I swear to God. Do you remember <laughs> that time? Do you remember that time when you were being... This is a horrible... I don't know what I'm telling you. It doesn't matter. It's not a horrible story because none of it's based on anything true. But okay. do you remember that time that that guy like cat called you and then you like... Didn't Which res- time? let me finish oh okay too busy trying to flex um <laughs> it's not a flex how dare you and then you you didn't respond and then he and then he said I, what did he say he said i bet that i bet that vaginas was horrible anyway no i'll tell you what he said because pat our friend patrick says it to me all the time because he thinks it's the funniest thing ever and i will say being catcalled is a constant anytime you're a woman going outside no matter what it's horrible and like fucking leave us alone but this was the funniest thing that has ever happened to me in this sort of realm and i've had some horrible things happen to me on the street with by disgusting men but he goes i don't remember what he said to me initially to try to get my attention but i ignored him and kept walking and he goes whatever didn't want any of that stanky ass pussy anyways (laughs) 
And I fucking lost it and started <laughs> laughing on the street. And he was like, I knew I'd get you. Like, he, like, was excited that I thought he was funny. And oh. I was like, no, I'm laughing because that's maybe the most horrible thing that anyone has ever said to me. But <laughs> our friend Patrick, like, says that to me or texts that to me, like, at least once a month. <laughs> Oh, it doesn't paint paint a good picture of of our friendship. (laughs) Yes, it does. (laughs) It's fine. It's fine, everybody. Um, It's fine. Because it's, 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 if it happened to anybody else, I would feel horrible. But it happened to me and it made me laugh. And when you can take those moments of levity, when you are constantly getting harassed on the street and on the subway and, you know, on the train, there's sometimes it just is funny. I know I but mine was kind of like sanitized what I thought he had said. I don't remember. What oh, I what said. did you think he said? I saw. I don't. I thought he said like I don't want. I didn't want to. I didn't want to smell that stinky vagina anyway. Which well, is I like, mean, <laughs> he did essentially well, say that just sanitized, in different words. <laughs> it's, it's absolutely not sanitized. There's something. It's, there's something it's almost like, more clinical the way you. There's said. something sort of buttoned up about it though. Yeah, it's sort of. It's so square. You it's know? sort of a classy way to say it. The fact that you said vagina instead of pussy, I think, also makes it a little classier. Fair enough. Um, yeah. So the thing that I that yeah, Richard Linklater. So this movie, the first movie, was based. On, wait, why are you laughing? <laughs> because that was the most fucking hilarious. We're talking about stinky pussy, and then we're moving into the intellectual conversation of the films of Richard Linklater. But please go ahead. I like that you're giving us intellectual. Um, so Richard I'm giving Link- us whatever. Honestly, it's true. It doesn't matter. Thank you for listening, by the way. Yeah, um, we really appreciate you guys. Please don't and, leave us. And as you know, we're in the hundreds, so we're officially veterans at this thing. So mm-hmm. we've been in the game for a minute. Um, yep. So we're professional <laughs> podcasters. Mm-hmm. Um, Richard Linkletter, in an interview, apparently it came... Okay, so I, I I remembered that this was like semi-autobiographical. Like he was inspired mm-hmm. to write this film based on an encounter that he had in Philadelphia in like 89, I think. Mm-hmm. And the first movie was released in 94. But apparently it was, it was an encounter he'd had with a woman named Amy in 89. Mm-hmm. And that inspired him. And he, like, like the character in, in Jesse, when the movie starts. By the way, this is the second installment, as Jane mentioned. If you want to start from the beginning, then we did do another installment on um, Before uh, Sunset, Before Sunrise. That was the first mm-hmm. movie. And we did another episode. So if you want to listen to that one before this one and come back to this one, then feel free to do that. Or just keep listening, listening to that one after. You yeah, do have to listen I... to that one, though, essentially, I guess is what you... I'm saying. Yeah, you do. And I will say, I mean, just as like a plug, but not even really a plug, just like a truthful thing. Like that is one of my favorite conversations and my favorite episodes that you and I have ever had. And it was and a really, yeah, it was, it was, it was a good really episode. good conversation. And it's like, a, it's like people like talk to me about it and have said that they like the conversation too. So people talk to me about it definitely, too. Definitely. Probably more people than talk to you have talked to me about it and just talked about how much they liked it. So, All right, please finish your sentence. So, okay. So Richard Linkletter, um, this, you know, the movie was ba- the first movie inspired by that relationship. And apparently, like, he had made that movie for similar mm-hmm. reasons to the book in this movie that starts out the movie that Jesse's written um, to try and find Amy. And she did. he hoped that she'd come to the premiere, and she didn't. And then when this movie came out, he hoped that she'd come to the premiere of this movie also, and she didn't. And then... When the final installment came out in 2010, apparently a friend of hers showed up at that premiere and told him that Amy had 
died in like 94. Like, yeah, she had like a motorcycle accident. It was a motorcycle accident. Yeah. Yeah. I think we did touch on that in the last episode, but I I couldn't remember, but I thought, oh, like, I just thought about that. I I don't, I can't remember if we actually talked about it or not, but I did, I I, I remember reading that definitely um, when I was researching the last episode. And it's, it's sort of tragic because it's like what could have been, you know? And I think this whole movie and this whole like series is about what could have been what could have been had like life sort of happened in a different way and also like Mm -hmm. the reality of that possibility and like yeah you know a person sort of being distilled to like that moment though too you know yeah i I just thought that was kind of like interesting that their relationship the the truth of whatever that was that happened with them was Mm -hmm. like sort of condensed to like you know the particulars of like that moment although i also thought it was really funny to think about amy like leaving that conversation and being like this insufferable man wouldn't <laughs> follow me around philadelphia girl apparently they met at a toy store which i thought was a cute cute thing. that is sweet yeah um but that was my first like it yeah that's great um you got anything Janie? i got a couple of things okay cool my <laughs> Okay, my first like it is that I knew, and I don't know if you knew this, instantly. They talk about when they first meet each other, they leave the bookstore and they're talking about, did you show up in Vienna that day? And they both say no. And I was like, I know he's lying. I know. Oh, I knew instantly. I turned to Dan and I said, "He, he showed up. Okay, there was something about that that I was just like, there's no, and just about his character, I was like, there's no way he wouldn't have shown up. There's no way. Not the same person who wrote the book about her. Yeah, exactly. You were there. (laughs) Good point. It's like, clearly you're obsessed. So like, no need (laughs) pretending. Oh, no, no, not me. Yeah, no, 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 not me. I was in Uh, New York, smashing. I was, I was, look. The belt <laughs> has many notches, and me it's and the had... crew, we were playing a, we were playing Smash Brothers with some local townies, <laughs> just like no, and maybe with each other a little bit too, you know. Oh, he's got to make it gay. It um, was New York in the '90s. You never knew what slipped in where. Is that how? Is that how? Is that, how, <laughs> <laughs> is that what was going on in the '90s? To be honest, I was a child and I didn't live in New York. Sure. So I don't know. <laughs> um. Idea. Yeah, you said what you said. Every hole was a goal in the '90s in New York. Apparently, um, I'm sure people are listening. Like, like anything's changed. Um, but yeah, no, that no, that that actually is something that I I noted as well. And I, but several of times when things like that would happen, there were some moments that she, we'll get to later. But yeah, moments yeah, yeah. that she had that I feel like were were woven in a little bit, uh, a little bit more subtly. The moment, mm-hmm. the thing was that it was the pregnant pause. There's a pregnant pause when she asks him if he showed up Mm -hmm. and he has a pregnant pause and then he sort of gets this smirk on his face and then he says no but it but it wasn't it didn't hold and it was nice that like within like the next several minutes he sort of like confesses because it was sort of like set up in such a way that it was like but it was also funny because it was like you're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't if you didn't show up then like then fuck you well, the moment we find out that she didn't show up, like they'd promised to meet, she didn't show up because her grandmother passed away and that was right. her funeral. And he didn't, and, and so when she says, oh my God, I'm so sorry, it's like a moment where he says, no, he didn't show up. And the weight of that feels more like, 
I want to absolve you of any feelings of guilt. But yeah. what it actually does is it sets off this other series of thoughts and this other conversation because it's like, wait, I didn't show up specifically because my grandmother died. Why didn't you show up? What was your reasoning? And right. so then he confesses to her that he actually did show up and she wasn't there. Mm -hmm. uh, which, by the way, it is so wild to just think about, like, think about how it's like the moments were the moments, baby. Like, either you were present in them or you weren't. If you missed you it, weren't. if you missed it, you missed it. Like, and with something you like. find people. How could you no. find anyone? If you didn't have a last name or an address, like, how could you ever find somebody? Oh, my God. It's wild to me. This is why crimes were never solved, you know, before, like, the Internet. My God, John Mulaney has that whole stand-up act about, like, just crime. Just, like, literally, like, detectives showing up in, like, the, like, 1800s. And it's just, like, like, <laughs> fingerprint? No. All right, let's go. It's, like, <laughs> I mean, literally, like, thing. what what did you do? Yeah. Um, just found the nearest vulnerable person and then I feel like this conversation is familiar to me. I feel like we had the same conversation last Probably. Time We're too. so played out. We had the same fucking conversations <laughs> over and over again. Um... <laughs> I had the the next like that I had was the opening conversation because there yeah. was something about the opening conversation that was so performative. Um, I'm talking about the conversation at the bookstore where he's like talking yes. to like like he's talking to like I don't reporters feels like too like strong of a word to use for these people who journalists uh, journalists yeah critics people who are who are asking him questions about the book and about the subject of it. And it's in, in it's in the 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 it's a very famous bookshop called shakespeare and company in paris have you been here i ha well this is my next like it point but um <clears throat> well i'll just say it where the bookshop is and then where they end up walking like they walk right by where tara and i were like staying Rested. in paris oh. when we were there last time and like they walk right by the theater that we saw um the rocky horror picture show in which i was surprised because i saw that they had a rocky horror picture poster and i was like oh wow so they've been doing this forever too because that was filmed really obviously cool. in 2003 so it was cool to see it you know we had gone in you know 2022 so crazy were you looking for yourself like in the background in any of the shots or anything to see if you i were there? wasn't because this was literally um 19 years before the trip we took um oh. last last summer <laughs> so oh okay. cool yeah. um so my next uh like it point is also about the reporters just being nosy as hell because they are really trying to get the tea on who this person is even though he's like respectfully said he doesn't want to talk about it and like these reporters are really trying to get it but it also was like funny because it all felt very meta in a way and it was like yes thinking about like Ethan Hawke, thinking about like the fact that like he was going through a divorce from Uma Thurman around the same time that mm -hmm. this came out. You all remember that the, the love blossoming on the set of Gattaca. <laughs> Don't get it twisted. Um, <laughs> but like things changed. And so it was really interesting to think about like all of that as he's telling this story of like lost love and like this person that got away and like this idea of like of growing of this idea of like growing up and like growing away from like who you were and mm -hmm. all of that was sort of on my mind as I was thinking through like this moment where he was trying to sort of like like 
underplay in service of like protecting her and probably kind of protecting himself too i just thought that it was like an interesting sort of like moment and in thinking about like art like authors as celebrity as like celebrities for fodder because it's like Mm -hmm. it's just an interesting thing to think about you know well and it was interesting too because there was like 10 people in the workshop it wasn't like you know like well we don't get us we don't get a sense of like his level of celebrity either right you know it's like it's Mm -hmm. unclear it's not giving me like um like stephen king or like jessica jessica fletcher level of like fame and notoriety (laughs) those of you who don't know jessica fletcher is a fictional character from the very current and hip and topical um television series murder she wrote which brandon and dave are working their way through again which i respect and i love yeah it's iconic did you know that they're doing a fraser reboot no girl they're doing a freight like it is in the works like who with Frasier with Rachel? With... Yes, Rachel Bloom. I listened to a podcast. Rachel Bloom was on the podcast for my crazy ex girlfriend, mm-hmm. and she was talking about being at a taping of an episode of the Frasier reboot. And I was like, "Oh, so this is like happening?" No, it's just wow. him. It's and he's in Boston apparently, but <gasps> none of the original cast. My city. What? Nobody came back. I'm well, wondering I mean... if it's well, R.I.P. John John Mulaney. Um, John John Maroney. I'm so sorry, John Maroney. <laughs> John Mahoney. Cut this. R.I.P. John no, Mahoney. No, leave it. Leave it. John, no, John Mahoney. R.I.P. Uh, Martin mm-hmm. Crane. But I, I feel like it's like, I'm really curious what this is going to be. Because even if you just told me that David was coming back, David Hyde Pierce, that would have been, I would have been like, okay. Yes. I would have had it's to figure out. It's weird that it's just him. Yeah. Like, no Jane. No Perry. So, well, Because we'll for me, I, Niles is always my favorite character. I so. agree. I agree. And their chemistry was like the thing, like the chemistry between Niles and Frasier is like Mm -hmm. what the show hinges on. So it's like, um, I'm really like, you know, and I'm wondering if it's that they didn't want to come back or if like in formulating the new show, it was like vague memory. And I don't know if this is attached to this reboot, but I have a vague memory of reading a quote somewhere that David Hyde Pierce said he just never wants to play that character again. He's just moved on from it. But mm. I I could be making that up entirely. It's I just didn't see a, a world vague memory in my head. I didn't see a Don't world in which any of that. I didn't see a world in which David Hyde Pierce would have not been offered like the opportunity. Yeah, to come I'm back. sure he would have been offered. Uh, so I'm sure he, I know he does a lot of theater now too. So he may mm. just be in a different place and you know, television filming schedules are grueling. And who knows, like if the first season's a little touch and go, then I'm sure NBC will be forking over whatever they need to to try and make this work. And maybe <laughs> if that money's looking right, then we'll get old DHP back in the mix. Um, but, <laughs> but yeah, so there we go. I got to stop track again. Um, I actually, th- that was kind of the end of my likes, by the way, but I do have a lot of love it. Oh. So... <laughs> Okay, I I just have two more. Um, oh no, like no, it. that wasn't to deter you at all. I was just saying. I realized I formulated them in this way. I think I just got really caught up in the lovets. Um, yeah, yeah, no, that's okay. That's okay. Um, my <laughs> just one is like Celine when they're sitting in the cafe and she's talking about how she like hasn't had success with like um, dating French men. Mm-hmm. And it comes up that she says that they're not horny enough. And I just thought, aren't they, That's like, famously horny? 
Isn't yeah, that the that's thing like about the like stereotype. the stereotype about Frenchmen is that they're famously horny? And I thought that was funny that that's what that's what she was calling out. That is interesting. You were there. Did you you would have been experienced it firsthand? Oh well, I mean, just for context, I mean, just it was just like walking through a sea of boners. Ugh. It's like I waiting in line to you know go through the Eiffel Tower and it's just Ugh, you know walking that. through wood as they say. Who's they? I don't know. I just made it up. I hate walking through wood. I Ugh. love it. It sounds awful. Mm, just like a sea of stiffies. <laughs> so appalling. Is that not your? Is that not? Is that not a fantasy for you? Is that not your? That's not your... my jam. <laughs> You don't want to see well because my part of it is that i don't understand what you like is it like the end of big fish where there's like a receiving line of people on either side that you're moving through so it's I almost like thought about it that much it's like but, one of those yeah. like you know when you have to go through what are those called like the turnstiles so you have to yes, literally like I'm hit your way about... through all these dicks yes i'm thinking about it. it's like you know when you're like at a store and there's all those like wind chimes and you run your hand across the wind chimes to make that's a completely different angle though yeah but i'm just saying like that's that's what's happening to your thigh as you walk through so it is like a turnstile then because like with the turnstiles like trying to go Mm -hmm. through you have to you know you have to like sort of use your hip to like get through so it's probably a lot of hip (laughs) action just trying to like yeah just depending on how tall you are you know Oh, that's true. The kids be hitting you in your torso. Yeah. And well, you probably I mean, but also how tall all the the penis havers are too. And it's probably I mean? a really, it's probably a melange of different. Yeah, like, and I usually try to just you know bring sort of a wood instrument and see what kind of noise I can make. Okay, we got ourselves a musician, huh? Um, <laughs> Everything is music. Everything around us is music. You know. <laughs> yeah, this is a distant chord we're playing right now. I'll tell you that. <laughs> Um, what's your last, what's your last like it, mama? Um, her apartment. At a certain point, we oh, go to her apartment and her apartment is so whimsical. And I was like, of course there's no visible TV. <laughs> like, I mean, I do love her apartment. She, we walk up conservatively so six, six flights of stairs, which is my nightmare. Um, Tara and I used to live on a fourth floor walk up and every day was misery. Um, <laughs> But her apartment is just one big whimsical French room with books everywhere and art and, you know, it just felt very much like her. And I thought it was like a great, like, you know, lived in European apartment. Dave has family that lives in Germany. And when we Mm -hmm. visit them, it reminded me of the staircase of his aunt's um, apartment building. They're just like, it's, it's very like... It's very old world in like such a charming yeah. way and the wooden stairs and like the wide mm-hmm. staircases and um the railing it's just it's all very charming and you don't really and people don't that. bat an eyelash on living on the sixth floor and you're like jesus i mean when i was in spain and in my dorm in spain i think it was on the fifth floor and it was like it doesn't count the first floor so you it's actually six floors did you know that the people in the courtyard were Julie Delpy's parents? I did when I was researching and found that out, and I find that so charming. 
yeah, I thought that was really that they play her neighbors when they come to the courtyard and she says, oh, we're, we're having a party. And uh, it's her mom and her dad, which I was like, oh, that's really sweet. Yeah, that is really sweet. So Link I mean, just to harken back because you mentioned it, it's like one of my love it points is like, I loved I love the idea of living in this French like <laughs> what like this this like nook off the street where there's a courtyard and like you have like dinner outside with your neighbors on like a summer night it looked like very whimsical and lovely and i was like in another world i could do that now i'm like i hope my neighbors don't fucking look at me i feel like <laughs> i'm not talking to them it's really charming but i also wonder if link Leiter was just trying to like cut, like trying to get through this and keep everything under budge and he was like who are those two over there and joe was like oh those are my parents they're just dropping me off. and he's like they're working today baby Give her, uh, give her that can, give her that that bowl with those cannellina beans in it, and get him over there by that grill. We're gonna get these shots real quick and dirty. Just like, oh, okay, Richard insists that you work. Um, Richard, Richard, Dick insists that you work. Um, very that. My first love at point was I loved like which I loved about the okay. I loved about the first movie, but I felt it more here. There was like this really sort of like easeful like casual encounter feel like and i really mm -hmm. enjoyed it it was through the first part of the movie things changed a little bit but there's a moment when he sees her again at the bookstore and there's just they're both playing it cool speaking mm -hmm. of like the performance itself like they're both playing it really cool mm -hmm. but like they're seeing each other again and it's that thing of like wanting to present like you know what you imagine the best version of yourself to be absolutely um, and but it was so it, everything just was so which it had been i mean that's what the first movie hinged on was like this sort of easeful connection that these two had but you feel it when they're sort of like there's a moment where we understand that there's uh, we never we never find out what time it is at this moment but the but his book signing is ending he's done his interviews she shows up unexpectedly and then they sort of walk out together and similarly to when they were in vienna they're just walking through paris now and they are they sort of fall right back in line there's this sort of like way in which they're able to engage with each other and it's one of those things that's really hard to put your finger on and i think it, it's obviously a testament to like julie and ethan's abilities as performers but there's just this quality that they have and they just fall into this groove and you're just swept up in it and it's it's just a really charming thing about this movie it's a really short movie by the way y'all it is it is 80 minutes and that's including yeah. credits so like mm -hmm. that gives you an idea of like you know how how it's, how it's happening in real time yeah and it, it it is it's it's he they say his he has to leave for the airport at 7 30 so you get the sense that it's late afternoon you know mm -hmm. yeah yeah yeah. i would um, say like you get the sense that they probably got about three hours that's the vibe that i got yeah and i mean my first love at point is almost exactly the same as that which is really funny that that was your first love at point too where it's like I love how, first of all, I mean, they are so good in this movie. This, I mean, and they were so good in the last movie. Mm -hmm. And I love how you watch literally in real time as their guards come down. So it's like, like you were saying, they start out trying to show the best version of themselves and, you know, be who they were from nine years ago but still remain casual and still remain charming all that kind of stuff and then you see as it slowly starts crumbling down like at first 
you know, Celine is sort of trying to explain to him that or say that she's like the book made me uncomfortable. You should have idealized our first our night together and I don't remember sleeping with you. And then it comes out later that like she doesn't really feel that way and she does. It was really significant the night they spent together and she remembers like everything about them sleeping together and it's just it's it it's done so subtly and so masterfully along with like the the dialogue itself but also how they're acting with each other and it's just really like wonderful to watch yeah i think i mean i think one of the big like the big things that sort of like comes through in this movie i mean you see that credited as writers of richard linklater mm-hmm. julie delphi and ethan hawk like it was really a labor of love and there was a collaborative nature to the process of building these characters and obviously the story the origins of the story come from linklater but we see the ways that like julie and celine are very much being informed by like the lives of delphi and hawk and like in formulating these in in like in deepening this story they now have their own foundation because although the story of like richard and amy was this foundational piece everything that happened in the first movie is now like Mm -hmm. archived in a very particular kind of way and that becomes like this point of reference and even in the very first scene of the movie when he's being interviewed by like these reporters there they've interspliced all of these like um scenes from the first movie of their encounter mm-hmm. and Dave is like oh my god is this going to be like a movie of just like flashbacks and it isn't but like they really mm-hmm. do foreground it in like trying to sort of get the point across that like you know this is the history um Mm -hmm. of these people and it makes sense too because one of the things that richard linklater is like famous for is the ways in which like he engages with like history and time boyhood Mm -hmm. obviously was like a groundbreaking film that was filmed over the course of like the lives of like hawk and arquette and the young men who played their son in the movie it like goes through time and periodically i think it was like every seven or ten years the actors would get back together and film like a new chunk of the film Um, Mm -hmm. So it's a real-time documentation of change through time. Um, And I see some of those elements present here um, as he's sort of, like, tracking the story of these people um, Mm -hmm. in a way that sort of echoed that to me. And I think that that was one of the things that I was thinking of when I was thinking about Linklater is, like, that's one of sort of, like, his directorial, like, um, offerings is, like, the ways that he's sort of, like, yeah, that he plays around with, like, temporality. And, like, I think in this movie... um, it comes through really in like in like a beautiful way and i think that like that foundation is clearly there and i have to imagine that like the dramatic imagination and then and then like the foundation of the first movie kind of like became these sort of like grounding pieces of this story Mm -hmm. like what does it mean to come back to these characters like Mm -hmm. what's changed and what's the same and i feel like they do a really good job sorry Mm -hmm. Oh, I just want to say, I feel like they do a really good job in the beginning of the movie of like, of like setting up one of the things that is really the same, which is like that, that chemistry, that connection, the easiness with which they're able to engage with each other. That was all. Yeah, no, I mean, it's, it's, it's still all there. And I think Mm -hmm. this movie, like you said, becomes more um, autobiographical and you can see like, um, because uh, Delby and Hawk are also co-writers as well. Mm. And you can sense that, like, <laughs> there's probably that 
that same similar like feeling although they may have seen each other over the last nine years of different things maybe they're friends i don't know but coming back and doing this again nine years later meaning filming this movie also probably brings some of that similar energy of like what it would be like to do to to meet up with this person nine years later as well does that make sense like yeah like it's it they're sort of living that in real time in a different scenario kind of mm -hmm. which i think mm -hmm. probably adds to the performance as well and i also think in talking about like the performativity i think that like the the performance of like of re-encountering like mm -hmm. you know and i think that a part of it yeah. too what, what you were sort of you mentioned earlier i think what you're also highlighting is like this sort of need to not only like this sort of need to not only like be present in the moment mm -hmm. you know as you re-encounter but also like this desire to like to be what the other person what the other person would want you to be at this moment mm -hmm. and i think that's reflected in some of like the early the easiness that we keep that we keep sort of like touching on of the chemistry mm -hmm. and, the, and the flow of the conversation i think it's this sort of desire to like present not only a version of yourself that you're like that you're proud of and that you're comfortable to be able to present but also to be able to present a version of yourself that is not in any way like incongruous with like who they would have you be like mm -hmm. in order to like maintain like an understanding of the memories that you both like collectively had but then also like trying to actively like play a role in like the formulation of like of new memory for this person like just by virtue of like time and the fact that you only had this certain amount of this certain amount of time so i have to imagine that there's like a part of it that's also just like we only have a couple of like hours together like brevity is is very much like on our minds like i want to leave you with like this sort of like impression this this impression that could like sort of like sustain you like and you know, like i think that we see that that doesn't work but i think that it's really like it's one of the things when i got to the end of the movie that i was able to appreciate about the beginning of the movie mm -hmm. it felt very much like i want to try and manage memory and i want to try and like I want to try and manage the ways in which you think of me in the future, which totally. I think is a really, really difficult thing to do, which we discover in the movie. But I thought it was a really yeah. interesting sort of like provocation that I was like thinking about. And like man and, and, and to try to like manage the magic that was there from mm -hmm, like the mm -hmm. first time, because like yeah, yeah, yeah. the first time was totally unexpected and totally off the guard and so organic and this way it wasn't like they both took steps to be here and be in the same place mm -hmm. so what does that mean for this experience and how does it inform it differently and like the pressure i'm sure they both feel to want to create that sort of magic again mm -hmm. but not knowing how to do that you know what i mean and and so there is like as we said a guard up in the beginning or just it's, it's so it's it's this it's not necessarily even like a guard it's just the subtlest of like trying to as you said before manage this journey and make sure it's as good and sustainable as the other ones which which sustained both of them for nine years which resulted in a book and in her case resulted in you know several songs that she's written and you know 
and you know we later find out informs all of their current and past relationships mm-hmm. no i think that's, that's a lot of pressure for two hours you know? yeah no it's like it's also like interesting because when you have these like i mean even with just like a close friend like that curating yeah. Like you mm-hmm. try and like you try and curate like topics of conversation. One mm-hmm. of my love it's that I actually put in here that I thought was really interesting. It was it was less of a love it I think than just like an observation that I made. Um, mm-hmm. But was the fact that like they don't talk like for the first half of this movie they don't talk about the present. They don't talk about the now. No. They talk about the past and they talk about the future. When they mm-hmm. talk about the the past, they talk about who they talk about who they were and mm-hmm. what they were to each other and what those moments were like and when they missed each other and you know, when he didn't, when she didn't show up and, you know, her grandmother passing. And then when they talk about the future, it's a lot of like, it's a lot of like sort of hypothetical circumstances, like the world mm-hmm. coming to an end. Like, like what happens if the world comes to an end? What happens if I pull you onto this, be- this bench over here, right? Like, like they're mm-hmm. actively, but they, but they make like a concerted effort to avoid, to avoid sort of like engaging about like, like the sort of everyday like reality of what their lives are and i think that that was a way in which they tried to like maintain that magic was by like not really thinking through like the practicalities of life and i think that that was something that was really interesting and it's kind of unique well that was like the the thing about the first meeting too right it's like we're laying this all on the floor we have one night we have we're we're probably never going to see each other again although they change that decision at the very last minute at the end of the first movie but like we're putting everything out on the table now about what we want how we feel like that's what facilitates this like free-for-all conversation but Mm -hmm. they don't have the same like what's the word they they have more restrictions now again Mm -hmm. because they're trying to capture what they did have and this this brings me to my next point which was when they both admitted you know further into the movie than i would have expected that they were in relationships jesse was married and that she was you know in a serious relationship with some photojournalist and i was both shocked that they that that was true because of the way that they were speaking to each other up until this point i think at that point they like i mean it's pretty clear um jesse's character is dtf and he is so fucking thirsty and like oh, yeah. pulls her pulls her on a bench and is like joking around about like let's do it or whatever um but I don't know. I'm still, I, I, I think they brought it up at the right time in a way where it like zapped me out of the past and into like, okay, what are we doing? And that was what, that was also how their conversation like moved forward from like, okay, we've done the past, we've done, you know, whatever. But now, now we're getting at like the truth of now, you know what I mean? It's interesting because those moments both those moments both materialized at a point where they were supposed to have ended the the interaction. All of that happened on mm-hmm. borrowed time, so to speak, because mm-hmm. they were supposed to be back at the 
they were supposed to be back at the that was one of the 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 considerations that the the agent at the beginning of the movie his book agent sort of makes is like he's like i'm gonna go this you know i'm gonna go out i'll be back his book agent like be back by 7 15 he gives him the number of a driver who's going to be taking him to the airport and um they head out you know with this knowledge that they have to be back and then like they then there becomes this sort of period of bargaining and mm-hmm. it's a moment where she's trying to get him back to the to the bookstore and then he sees uh, a boat ride he sees like uh, a like a tourist like boat that's about he, to but he has admitted right before this point that he is married that they're in a relationship but he breaks it down though yes he has yeah, admitted yeah. that he's married well he didn't admit that he was married she's the one who brings it up Yes, she brings true. up reading the the magazine article. He mm-hmm. probably had no intention of bringing it up, which is really interesting. Yeah. Although, but he I did notice he was wearing ring. a wedding ring. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, like, I mean, you know what it is. But mm-hmm. he, but like, they, when they get on the boat, it's almost like that's the beginning of like the revealing, like the true sort of like process of revealing like the circumstances of life now, and. It's and it continues when they get into, when they get to the car and he insists on you know the driver taking her back to her house as well mm-hmm. like all of this honesty it's like it's almost the thing that they were trying to avoid because mm-hmm. it's like essentially it feels like in the beginning of this movie like they're trying to recreate like they're trying to recreate the the magic of of youth and the magic they're still young but they're trying to recreate mm-hmm. the magic of like an early twenties untethered like no responsibility you know Mm -hmm. scenario and the what they realize i think is that you can't do that like this can be magical and this can be beautiful in its own way and it's going to be a different kind of beauty and it's going to be a lived in complex beauty because everything that happened 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 and before their their past were question marks and now Mm -hmm. their past are very real thing and their past directly affect one another so it's like yeah, there's 10 years of like things that have occurred since the last time we we met. And while before it didn't matter, everything that happened in these last 10 years is directly informed by our relationship to each other in that moment. So like, mm-hmm. I think that they realize at a certain point that like, this isn't to be a, like, this isn't to be avoided. There's a way that we can sort of lean into this mm-hmm. to get a deeper sense of who we are right now in this moment, as opposed to trying to make this work. And it, mm-hmm. when, when it won't hold, like it can't, this, this, that now, although it wasn't at the time, it served us in that moment, but now it feels almost like artificial in a way. And I feel like, like we have to be able to talk about our lives and all of their complexity and in all of their like difficulty and all of the unhappiness, like mm-hmm. now. And I think that it's like, it's a really like, it, it's a really wonderful way to move into this next chapter in the story is to be mm-hmm. like no all of this stuff is still happening and i think that what they also like all of those things that were so beautiful are still there mm-hmm. um just in a different kind of way which i think is super interesting yeah you know i went through actually a lot of feelings while watching this movie um, oh yeah we did too dave went through the ringer i i went through like the this feeling of like frustration and disappointment with them and feeling like really why yeah in what way well uh, this is another one i I, again i think this is more of a conversation than us just sharing points um you know this is a unique movie and i think this is probably going to be a unique way that we talk about it but i this movie made me really sad in a lot of ways um Mm. because it felt like 
when they were they were very they were very honest about where they were at in their lives and they weren't these you know perfect happy like you know uh idealistic and optimistic people that they were in the last movie and those are the people that i really like it's almost like as a third party watching i still wanted them to be those people but what they've had again is you know nine years of experience he's in an unhappy marriage she has trouble with you know true real long-term relationships because she just doesn't really fucking like anybody and what i felt like they were in some ways which i didn't want for them after watching the first movie is like they settled in a lot of ways they were Mm -hmm. still doing things that they liked and they still were enjoying you know parts of their life that really significant like jesse's relationship with the son hank like that was the most you know significant thing to him and brought him so much joy but you know he felt so lonely with his wife and like celine felt so frustrated by all the men that she dated and how she felt like you know she helps all these men grow and find their wives and they call her up and thank her for marrying, you know, for, for getting them ready for marriage to another person. And she just doesn't understand why that keeps happening to her. And she just doesn't, you know, doesn't even necessarily want to be with anybody, but the people that she, she is with have been disappointing. And I don't know. I just felt like it was this confirmation that happens all the time where it's like when I was in my 20s, I was idealistic and I was optimistic and so excited. And then, you know, I move into my 30s and I'm just like, there are some things about life that you just can't be that you just can't feel that way about. You can't feel totally optimistic. Not everything is pick up and leave and, you know, move to another country and run around on a train and meet a random person, you know? And so there's that like sadness that like, that's like confirmation that like these people that we had spent a lot of time with and watched them be so excited about life and what could be. And then they were in this position that, you know, they weren't that happy with. And then the way the movie ended, I was like, what are you going to do? You know? So the, yeah. I felt sad. I felt really sad. That's interesting because, see, mm-hmm. for me, like, I, I get what you're saying. And I feel like, to me, it felt almost like they weren't even, a, like, they weren't aware of the fact that they weren't happy until they saw each other again, almost. Like, remembering mm-hmm. this feeling and being acquainted with each other, it almost was like, oh, this was a thing that could be, too. Like, yeah. the potential, you know? And I think also probably imagining a world in which she didn't show up because she never wanted to see you again mm-hmm. you know or she disappeared you know and then having mm-hmm. her in front of you again all of a sudden your mind is swirling and like we romanticize the past we romanticize people totally. so like having mm-hmm. this flesh and bone person in front of you again it makes it makes everything feel that much more possible and that much more like tangible right. and also i think one of the things that i'd written down in my notes that came up for me was this idea that they talk about of like of like we sometimes in life think that like 
like they talk about not not sharing numbers and not giving each other their numbers and how like young and naive they were oh yeah um, yeah yeah and uh you know earlier in the in the last movie oh my god we just expected to be able to like meet each other here and mm -hmm. i think she says celine says something like i thought this was going to be like like i had no way of knowing you have no way of knowing when you're in these moments sometimes that it's actually a really magical like special moment totally. and when you're young you convince yourself sometimes that like oh there's going to be more of these this is the beginning this is going to be a yes. series of like life-changing like lovers or life-changing friendships or mm -hmm. whatever and like i feel like sometimes people don't always hold on to those because they think that like this is merely this person's existence is merely a sign that i am going to be a person who has a life full of really incredible encounters and really incredible peoples as opposed to this person's existence is a sign that like every now and then you have a lightning in a bottle type of connection mm -hmm. with a person and I should hold on to this. And why like at 22 years old, like how could you know? And, right, and you know, yeah. you don't always understand when you're in a moment that you're in, um, that you're in a moment, you know? And you know what? There's a st stupid, there's a Stephen Sondheim lyric though that I love from Into the Woods where the baker's mm -hmm. wife, it's like right before, spoiler alert, she dies. And she sings this <laughs> song, Moments in the Woods, and she has a line in it that's, oh, if life were made of moments, even now and then a bad one. But if life were only moments, then you'd never know you had one. And like, mm. I like I think that that like is apt here. It's like you yeah. you sort of like take for granted the fact that like, sometimes it is it's just like a magic one-off thing and you may never mm -hmm. meet another person like this and it's not an indication of the fact that like you are that you are going to have a life full of incredible encounters but then again if you had a life full of incredible encounters then you wouldn't be able to understand like the weight of like a beautiful yeah. moment that presents itself so it's like it's such a catch-22 i think yeah. that actually really helped give me perspective of how i was feeling this movie and maybe made me feel a little less sad because i think like it's probably me projecting right like i think it made me really kind of feel like maybe i've lost my optimism for the like the wild person that i was in my 20s and thought everything is an adventure and everything is, is an experience and at that time there were probably more of those moments and like because of you know growing up and having to do what you do now and like the monotony of life can really make you sad and shining a light on that and realizing that or feeling like there is like the loss of that which like is never actually guaranteed it's like incredible that you get to have those moments when you have them like isn't that something to appreciate than to feel like oh I don't have those as much anymore. My life is more sad. And it's like, no, I've built this life that I love and that I want. So why does having that in front of me and seeing someone, you know, seeing someone who didn't follow through on something, you know, didn't get to have this magical um, experience that they created, that they wanted to create for themselves and they lost out on like, why does that make me feel sad because they had it to begin with you know so that is i appreciate i appreciate you saying that because it is a different perspective and it made me sort of like pivot like this isn't sad maybe i i, I know what you mean though i mean we think mm -hmm. about like college and we think about like that feeling of like freedom mm -hmm. that you had and so much it's so different you know i feel like sometimes i know for me as like a queer person like so much of that 
time. I didn't have, like, experiences like that when I was, like, Mm -hmm. in college. Like, I was, you know, I was closeted deeply and, like, I wasn't processing that. And I Mm -hmm. was so much a part of so many people's probably moments like this where, like, I was the friend bending an ear, like, and Mm -hmm. listening to people sort of, like, Mm -hmm. go through these kinds of things. So I think that I probably think about it all in different terms because... I never had any of those, like, those real moments. I never had, Mm -hmm. like, that kind of, like, young love, you know? I was so bogged Mm -hmm. down by, like, all of these, like, fears and anxieties, you know? And I feel like I spent so much time watching, like, straight people, like, have those kinds of, like, experiences and, like, thinking that somehow my queerness foreclosed upon, like, the possibilities of it. But I think that, like, Mm -hmm. you know, it's the older I get, the more I realize, you know, like, especially, like, you know, being in, like, in school and like seeing like younger people and all of that and then having the moment where i'm like oh age is like it's relative like more than ever and like we make of it what we want and we take like the pieces that you know are inspiring us and we bring them with us and i have like i have been like those stories i didn't have i have a lot of stories of love with friends like deep meaningful relationships with friends that you know and a a lot of them that's that's what i'm including in my story yeah 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 but like, because I also think, sorry, I didn't mean. I, I, no, I, no, 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 no. What were you gonna say? I was just gonna say. I also think, like, on the other side of that, that because, like, when I was in my twenties, like, I want, I, I wanted to experience all of those moments, no matter who it was with, no matter if I really liked the person or not. Like, mm-hmm. I just wanted to have experiences. But the other side of that coin is that, like. <laughs> When you extend those experiences because you felt something so deeply for someone in the moment, and then you really sort of shine a light on what's happening, That's it can thing. be ugly as hell. It's like these moments in a bottle sometimes need to be moments in a bottle. And I am totally guilty of having these moments in a bottle and being like, oh, well, let's shake this out of the bottle and see if this can be real life. And then you find it like, I don't even really like you as a person. Oh, that friend you met while backpacking through Europe who comes to visit you and they're like a dismal mess and you're like, oh my God, they just tracked mud through my fucking house. Why does my shower look like Woodstock? Like, or, you know, like yeah. we had like, I, you know, there's, I, I was incredibly privileged enough to have a lot of time abroad and traveling in my early 20s. And like, I met so many people who I was like, oh my God, I can't believe I had this experience with you. It's incredible. I am not like not to say that like I wouldn't you know I'm sure there are plenty of lovely people that I've lost touch with that I would love to see again of course but like there are plenty of people that I lost touch with or only spent a very short amount of time with or it was like it was probably right not to have more than that you know what I mean sometimes it's like it's just what it's supposed to be and that's one of the questions mm-hmm. that I feel like they're grappling with in this film because I feel like he's very much in this mindset of like what would have happened if you showed up? And there's this really like powerful moment in the movie where they're talking about the fact that they they have the realization. It's sort of where this sort of, there's a moment where like, where they're sort of, they've got this, these sort of like warm and kind of sunny dispositions in the beginning of the movie. They're, they're riding the high of like this reconnection. Mm-hmm. And then there's a moment where like the potential of what could have been sort of intervenes where they have the realization that they were living in New York at the same time for a year. Oh, between 98 and 99 as she was there studying in school and getting it a um, th- it was three it was, years uh were they were they both there for the three years i think so oh, that's what i, I think they overlapped for a year okay they overlapped for the year of 90 i think from for 98 to 99 i think okay. that she left in 99 and he got there in 98 
So okay. they realize that like they were there for the same year. And then he's talking about his wedding day and he's talking mm -hmm. about being in the car, going to his wedding, not being sure about marrying his wife. And he says, I thought I saw you. I thought I saw you on, I forget the cross streets. Uh, it, was, it was, I have the lineup. Do you want me to read it? Yeah. This is Jesse. In the months leading up to my wedding, I was thinking about you all the time. I mean, even on my way there. I'm in the car. A buddy of mine is driving me downtown, and I'm staring out the window, and I think I see you. Not far from the church, right? Folding up an umbrella and walking into a deli on the corner of 13th and Broadway. And I thought, I was going crazy, but now I think it probably was you. And Celine says, I lived on 11th and Broadway. Which it's is like, like a really, like, it's like an aching... Yeah. It's like an aching moment. It's like, mm -hmm. it, it's, it's such a revelation that like that very well could have been like her that could have been, you know, the moment where like something intervened, like fate was trying to intervene and it was interrupted just like when her grandmother mm -hmm. died. And it's that thing too of like, I feel like the gift of this movie is this idea of living in the now and like mm -hmm. not being haunted by the past because it's like, they both are they keep having these moments where it's like what if i had married you what if i had seen you you know and even when she says you know she says what would have happened though and i think there's a part of me that's like maybe like fate and maybe like love and life having not seen the third movie of course but like maybe love and life has sort of like maybe this time was like that period where like sometimes when things are really incredible and like beautiful they go through this like curing period and like mm -hmm. maybe like this was the curing, you know, and maybe through this till we get to the next movie, it's more of like that idea of curing, but it's like this idea that like you're in the process of becoming the best version of yourself that's going to make like you finding each other and being able to like be extensions of each other or be able to be like some sort of like loving unit possible. And mm -hmm. you're you're actually procuring all of these tools that had you not gotten gone about finding them like in this way, you would have mm -hmm. been ill-equipped to be present yeah. and to be there for each other had he shown up, you know, six months after. It's like, of course, you can romanticize a world in which the two of you lived happily ever after, but what if you have, but what if you have been present? And what maybe this experience with your wife right now is going to make you a potential, potentially a better partner. Maybe you'll be able to say what you need. Absolutely. And like, and like be an attentive person to you know this new person in the future but it's so hard because you think about like stolen time you think about yeah. like what would have happened if we'd had all of our youth together what would have mm -hmm. happened if like we'd had kids together what would have happened if like we didn't feel trapped by circumstances and it is so it's such a mind fuck it's such a mind fuck but it also really gives weight to the fact that like for me personally just like thinking about that i'm like I'm glad, I'm glad they didn't meet up six months later because they were what, 22, 23? Yeah. And they probably would have ended up living together, being poor in some European city, you know, living on top of each other in an apartment, ending up hating each other, like, and frustrated and, you know what I mean? Like resenting each other and not having the tools to work through it like you do when you are so young in your 20s and you don't know how to have, like, a functional relationship and think about, like, how to communicate well with another person, you know? I mean, I'm sure there are some people in their 20s who have Make done that work, successfully yeah. but that's more of a rarity than yeah. the tr you know and like you were saying everything 
everything that he has with his wife now where he's like i respect her and i love her but like you know everything like is leading us to believe that he maybe married the wrong person you know what i mean, I mean? he's he's said it without i mean he's basically yeah, he, like he's basically said it you know like i'm in a marriage that doesn't work for me but like again like you were saying it sort of feels like he needed to have that to get to this moment you know what i mean which again and this moment is controversial right because he is currently married yeah. you know and having these very intense conversations with this person but it's like you also can't fault them for it because they're in another country so it doesn't count <laughs> no i was gonna say oh because their situation is so unique and so rare that this might be their only opportunity to do whatever i mean the movie ends really abruptly right like the last line is she looks at him and she goes baby you're gonna miss your flight and he goes i know and smiles and the movie's over and you don't know what happens they're in her apartment and <laughs> i mean you can guess what's probably going to happen they're probably going to sleep together who knows what that turns into? And I'm so, I'm also so anxious to see like this from, from this movie to the next movie, which was, came out in 2013. I'm so curious to see the next chapter of their lives because I'm so worried <laughs> that I'm, I'm worried about them because to me, they, they are like this, like couple, like crystallized in time that are, yeah that I want to always be what they are. And I'm worried that this experience might, I don't know, change it. And then like, what is it like with the internet? If they do part, like they, they have each other's last names. Now they know where they live. Well, they can communicate. <laughs> yeah, can exactly. Like what, what does this mean? Like it can't be another nine years of no contact, you know, they wouldn't last because it's too tempting no it seems like they're in like this sort of like i feel like it's like this they're in like they i mean it's this idea of stolen time it's like we're yeah it's almost like they're on this like this parallel like this parallel continuum where like mm -hmm. they've basically just sort of like in europe like they've picked up exactly where they left off and like mm -hmm. everything that happened in between doesn't matter and they've like yeah. stitched like this sort of like they've stitched this story of the two of them where everything else and all of the outside factors that that could complicate it aren't present like they're mm -hmm. and they are they're in this stolen time they're in this space where he's not at the airport and he's 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 not at the airport he's done his book signing like there's no obligation to anyone and there's no requirements and like there is something about it that is it's just so powerful and it's so romantic and they kind of did the same thing in the last movie it was stolen it was a stolen moment where they hopped off the train mm -hmm. and they made this sort of like decision like they ride like they like they have this sort of like simpatico like sharing of energy and this seems to be like a world in which that continues and they sort of forget about obligation and responsibility and they just sort of give over to the now and i think that like it's like i feel like it, it ends on like this sort of like hopeful note because it's like even if I it do doesn't too. work out yeah. i feel like they're reminded that like this 
exists in the world. I think what mm-hmm. what they're faced with is like, can this exist with somebody else? You know, mm-hmm. and I think 10 years apart and the fact that like they've both used art to sort of like work through these feelings and like mm-hmm. to figure out like what it is that they want. Like they've, they've used art to sort of like mount these sort of like imagined encounters. Like they've used the imaginary to like sort of like weave together like the then and the now and it's like where do we go where do we go from here in like real time and like what's reality and like how does reality serve us anyway Mm -hmm. um so i think that those are a lot of the questions that were sort of swirling around for me at the end of this movie and uh yeah no it was it was emotional at the very end and like dave had like a moment and we were like talking through it because it was it was just really like lovely like wrinkle in time like it was very powerful and it was very simple and so um, simple and and so deep though these movies are so it it's almost it 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 almost sounds like something you know it sounds like something i would hate two pretentious white people walk around a european city and talk about life and Mm -hmm. all that kind of stuff i would roll my eyes if someone said this to me like if someone described this to me without me having like just watched it but you know these quickly have become some of my favorite movies and like something to like mull over consistently and when i started the first one before we watched it i did not want to watch it i was like this is going to be so annoying these people are going to be so annoying I can't, I, I, you know, Ethan Hawke is just that annoying, you know, pretentious, like, guy reputation. But I've quickly realized that, like, that's bullshit. And these are really good movies. And they pose so many questions in my mind about everything that we just talked about. And I really can't wait for the next one. I, I'm, I'm like, you know... I would think we'll probably do it sooner rather than later. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I kind of went into this one and I was not looking forward to it. Although I did really like the first one and I remembered really liking the first mm-hmm. one. But I was like, ugh, I was like dragging my feet yesterday. And then like, uh, I was like, oh, I gotta watch it. And then I started mm-hmm. it and it was sort of like, okay. And then I was, and then I was just hooked. And then yeah. I was like, what's going to happen next? And I like mm-hmm. to be able to sort of like be enraptured, like as two people just sit in a coffee shop having a conversation. Oh I mean, God. that's a gift to be able to be able to keep a person like sort of glued. And I this is a this is a really honestly like this is kind of it's a near perfect film. Like it, it is really is. It does not overstay its welcome. And like, mm-hmm. I think the pacing of the film itself, I think it does a lot to sort of like create like a facsimile of like the timeline that they are moving within there's Mm -hmm. like the imperative of time and like the fact that you and they know better than anybody that you've got to say what you need to say in this moment because you might get another one so seeing them sort of like going through that and and like letting go of like any of like these sort of like perceived notions you know of what Mm -hmm. it means to be a gracious person of what it means to be like you know a, a person who wants to sort of like reflect love and reflect an understanding to an, to another person but doesn't want to intervene on their lives at the same time and seeing them say fuck it and like that's what got us into this mess in the first place so i'm gonna mm-hmm. just like be here and now with you it's inspiring and it is you're right you don't know what happens but it does sort of like leave you like where do we go from here it's exciting you know it's ex- yeah. the simplicity is kind of maybe exciting too um against the backdrop of so many other 
you know, well, I just showier films. How much it takes these days to keep me uh-huh. interested because uh-huh. I'm so addicted to my phone. I'm so addicted to just being stimulated and dopamine searching all the time mm-hmm. that a movie or a TV show has to really fucking grab me or like quite frankly has to be in another language so i have to read subtitles so i pay attention to what's going on i mean that's Mm. truly part of the trick for me (laughs) so that i can because i am total i mean totally distracted by life in every single way Mm. and something i try to really hard to avoid particularly as a person who has adhd it can be really difficult and this movie these movies from you know minute one where i'm not even excited to watch them do absolutely enthrall yeah. me enthrall me and that to me is like mind-boggling yeah no no i loved it it was it was a yeah. great ride and it was nice to get this piece of the puzzle mm-hmm. um, yeah well I mean, I've said everything I want to say. I know we sort of didn't really do our like, but this is no. I think I got. Yeah, I think I got out what I. Yeah, I think I. Okay, good. Yeah, me too. Um, so then I have two questions for you. Ask them. Ask them. Um, the first one, which I think you'll you'll be familiar with as you've heard it before, is, um, will you watch this movie again? Yeah. No, for sure. Yeah, I'll watch Mm -hmm. this movie again. Absolutely. Yeah. And then my next one, which again, I've, I, you may have heard before and I hope you're prepared for, um, is do you have a movie for me to watch next week? Um, I do actually. And um, this was one that I sort of, uh, I checked in with uh, your wife about to make sure that you hadn't seen it. Okay. Um, it's a current movie. Um, next week, we are gonna be watching Cocaine Bear. Okay, I'm really excited. I've heard about this movie, but I don't know what it's about. I don't know anything about it. I don't know, but people are talking. Talking about people. Yeah, Um, this is, I know that this is a nickname that they have for one of the gays down at one of the bars in Andersonville. One? I'm sure many. Exactly. So, um, I'm excited to watch it with you, Janie. Amazing. Well, I can't wait um I that's right we're going from we're going from this art house film <laughs> to cocaine bear because we have look range. we we want to keep you on your toes here at movies you miss and we want to give you whiplash and we want to give you all types of entertainment and as we've always maintained brandon and i contain multitudes we are not just one thing so. exactly still waters run deep babe mm-hmm. <laughs> um but I love you, Bran. Thank you for talking to me about this movie. Thank you, listeners. I hope you made it this far. Um, we hope you check out the movie. It's a really good movie. So if you haven't watched it, you should. And um, if you want to keep up with us, <laughs> you know where to find us. We're on social media. Mm-hmm. You can find us on Instagram at Facebook at Movies We Missed. And you can find us in the same place as you are right now next week um, as we cover the what i expect to be instant classic it better be cocaine bear
out of me up, Colonel. <laughs>